I'd like you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 12. I would encourage you as, um, as parents to pray God's protection around your family. Ask God to put a hedge around your family and around your home. Uh, when we uh, start a counseling session during the week, we, we ask that, that God would put a hedge around the room and will not allow the enemy to come in because... Even in this service, the enemy wants to do two major things. He wants to blind your mind to truth, and he wants to steal the word out of your heart. And every time the word is preached, we're warned that that could happen. Jesus talked about the sower and said the birds that came was the enemy, and he stole the word out of the hearts of the people. They just walk out and they didn't get it. Or Satan blinds the mind to truth. They just can't... Um, see it. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, we, this comes to the very first commitment to come to personal freedom. And Jesus Christ said he came to set the captives free. Jesus Christ wants us to be free. And there's a commitment, it's, it's the first one, and will lead you through certain things that I feel that if you can work these things into your life, or I know if you will work them into your life, you will come to freedom. Um, got another Jim here that, that came in uh, while I was speaking, and he was a prayer partner a couple of weeks ago uh, from Dallas, a uh, young fellow. Jim, are you? There he is, way in the back row with his mom and dad. And he was down for a week, and we had the privilege of seeing a, a very tragic, sexual-addicted teenager come to freedom. And so it was so wonderful to have two ATIA, let's put it to the Gothic Homeschooling, young men as my prayer partners as we were working with um, a young man who was in terrible sexual bondage and to watch God work in his life. But his first response was to leave the office man. I mean, he left man. I thought, that's it. He walked out. He wasn't coming back. He wasn't going to. And who made him leave? Who was telling him to get out of there and not to stay and just to leave? And yet he was desperate. And yet just there was just so many things. One, we used the Bible. That bothered him. The two young men had suits on that were there, that were my prayer partners. That bothered him. I said, well, put jeans on then. Come on back. <laughs> but that wasn't the problem. You know, he was just all these things. He just laughed, ran out of the building, left the building. I was not coming back. And he'd be a mess today. But he came back, and God worked in his life. And this was the first commitment he had to make. In Revelation 12, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And that great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is one of the major attacks of the enemy. Satan is the deceiver. Now, what is the difference between Satan as a liar and Satan as the deceiver? Because every attack of the enemy that will come to you or me has a lie in it to a greater or lesser degree. Now, let me explain the deception. This is all can be so helpful if you can see this in your own personal life. I had an opportunity to speak to one of the secular colleges in our town to the psychology department on demons. I thought, that's interesting. <clears throat> if they're game, I'm game. So I went up there to talk to them, and, and I was explaining worldview. I tried to make it very, you know, like I was intelligent. So I did the worldview thing and all this stuff. And, and, um, and then we wanted to get down to the real things. And I, I was sharing that, that Satan was a deceiver. 
And so I asked the, the students in the room, I said, I want you to raise your hand, but let me ask you this question. How many of you young people think you're inferior? So don't raise your hand, but if I were, if you, you know, how many would you raise your hand, would raise your hand? I said, let me rephrase the question, and I think I'll get a lot more hands. How many of you young people feel inferior? Do people think they're inferior, or do they feel inferior? They what? Feel inferior. Is that biblical? Is that biblical? Are there inferior people? Is that what God says? Some people are inferior and some people aren't? Or is that a lie uh, from the enemy? It's a lie from the enemy. Now, let me tell you what a deception is. A deception is when my mind and emotions believe something that's not true. Then I am deceived. It's not just a thought, but my emotions get involved, and I feel it, and I believe it. I struggled with inferiority for so many years, I can't tell you how terrible that was in my life. And I just knew I was. I just thought I was to it. I was inferior. And I had a lot of reasons to, to come to that conclusion in my life. And so a, a man is deceived when his mind and emotions believe something that is not true. The enemy can attack your emotions. God had not given us a spirit of what? Fear. What is fear? Is that thinking or is that a feeling? When you, if you have fears, you don't have thinking. Your problem is what? All kinds of fearful feelings. The enemy can attack our emotions. Okay, so that's the one thing. Satan is a deceiver. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The second major thrust of the enemy is accusations. As I shared with the Indians, where I, where I told them they were terrible people for thinking what I told them to think. So Satan puts a thought in my mind and he tells me I'm a terrible person for thinking like that. And you're a real terrible person if you believe that. You don't have to believe that. That's not me. And I refuse to receive that accusation. I just give no consent to it. It's not true. And I refuse to be accused by the enemy. And then we come to verse 11, and this is the key, and this is the first commitment. And they overcame him, that's the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The very first step in coming to freedom after repentance, remember he said the first major thing, there are six things that we see that have to happen for somebody to walk in victory. The first thing is they have to be, be genuinely grieved over the bondage or the mess that they're in. And they have to see that they've sinned against God and they've sinned against a lot of other people. And they really want God to come in their life and they're willing to, to do everything within their power to turn their life around, that they, what they need to do on their part. Repentance. Then after repentance, that we sense that over the phone or in the person's life, then the second major thing is, is, is this one, and that's the first step to coming to freedom, which is step two, which is taking back ground. Ground is topos. It says in the scripture, don't give Satan ground in your life. And that Greek word is the word topos. Topos means legal jurisdiction. Don't give the enemy legal jurisdiction in your life. If you bought a home and you moved into the home and all of a sudden the, the, the people that used to live in that home have got tents all over your property and all their relatives and cousins have come to live in tents all over your property and you go to them you say get off my property you don't have any legal right to be here and they said, oh, yes, we do. You just bought the house. You didn't buy the land. And so don't give land to Satan because he'll put a tent on it. 
And furthermore, he'll start building and he'll build a stronghold. And he'll build a stronghold on the lands you give to the enemy. And so we want to take back that topos. We want to look at what gives Satan ground in my life. That the, one of the, we have a definition sheet. One of the best definitions is by Dr. Clinton Arnold, who teaches out of Talbot on the definition of, of topos. And he sees any sinful activity that the believer will not deal with by the power of the Spirit will give ground to Satan in their life. And you give ground and more ground and more ground and more ground and pretty soon the enemy's got more ground in your life than the Lord has. Now the Lord owns you, but as far as being filled with the Spirit and all of that, it's just been, the Spirit's been grieved and there's just very little of any activity of the Lord Jesus Christ in that person's life. They're more under the influence of the enemy and they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit because they've given so much ground. So they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and the love not their lives unto death. Three things. The blood of the Lamb. The only way we can overcome the enemy in our life is to know the overcomer and to ask that overcomer to come into my life and to save me, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a duck in my office. It's a ceramic duck, and, and I have a number of things there. From I have a wall of really neat Indian things from, from different Indian groups that have given to me, and I've nailed them on the wall, but I've got a duck. And i got teenagers in there, and I'll say, you like my duck? And most of them say yes, and I said, I'm glad you said that. I made it. And um, they say, you really did? And I say, I show them my name's inside of it. My son-in-law, one of my son-in-laws, and I have four, four children that are all walking with the Lord and three of them are serving the Lord full time in ministry and my oldest daughter if you've been to a, an old Bill Gothard seminar he talks about this girl who told the boy to write the dad well that's her oldest daughter and uh, the young man is my son-in-law and we now have uh, that union uh, our oldest granddaughter is 16 and he's been teaching in Christian schools for years and he teaches art ceramics and stuff so I made the ceramic deck and so I, I asked the kids, I said, who has more power, me or the duck? And well, you did, you made it. And I said, right. I said, do you know anything about Satan? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, what was he? And they said, an angel, wasn't he? I said, yeah. I said, where did the angels come from? I said, well, God made him. I said, uh, well, where does God live? I said, Heaven? I said, where else does God live? Well, it's inside of me. That's not that scripture true, isn't it? Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world because the one who is in me created the one who's in the world. And see, they're standing here in the finished work of Christ. They're standing in the blood of the Lamb. They're standing because why? They have trusted in the saving grace of Christ. They're standing there. But what they did, they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony. And we have them. If you look at, I have a book that I want you to get. I won't tell you the title because you go out and get it. And it's not that good of a book. I had to get it from England. Um, maybe if I give you the title, you can't find it. But it's called The Devil at Baptism. Don't get it. <laughs> Don't you dare look at this paper. Don't you look at this paper. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do the Eve thing, okay? You know, where was she when Satan came? Standing in front of the tree. He didn't say, come on, let's go find the tree. She was standing there and he came up and talked to her. But the devil of baptism, what's interesting about that book, is they put all the baptismal rites that they've ever found anywhere from the earliest history of the church up until modern day. And you go back and you read the Coptic and Syriac and, and you know, all these rites, and you know what they did when someone was baptized? They had to renounce Satan. They weren't just becoming believers. They had to stand against the enemy and turn to Christ. And you read the testimonies, and the testimonies that they, in their baptismal testimony or the baptismal ritual, the person had to renounce enemy involvement in their life. And that's what the last book, the last chapter in the book of Joshua. As I travel in, you said, 13 different countries of the world and, and I was to go to India for a month in November and my wife had no peace about it so I canceled that trip. It's the only, she doesn't like me to go. She misses me. Isn't that wonderful? She called it today. She missed me. But, um, 
Uh, she just didn't have peace about the India trip. I was going to be there for a month of October, and so I canceled the whole trip because somehow in her spirit, and she has a more sensitive spirit than I do, that she, she, she wants me to minister. But I said, there's something not right about it. I'm not going. So I, I canceled that. As I go to these countries, though, I find that what Joshua said to the children of Israel in the last chapter of Joshua is where I begin in any foreign culture when I'm speaking to people of other uh, ethnic backgrounds and especially animistic people. And Joshua said this. If you read that chapter, it's beautiful. He said, listen, you can't follow the gods of Egypt and the true and living God. You've got to make a decision. Either you're going to turn your back on the gods of Egypt and turn to the true and living God or you get the worst of both worlds. And then he drew a line, I think, with his big toe in the sand. And he said, for me and my house, what? We're turning our back on Egypt and the false religions and the gods and the spirits of Egypt. And we're going to follow the true and living God. And that, and we have a person give a verbal commitment and renounce right there in our presence. Not a prayer, but a statement of faith. Satan, I want you to know. I want no part of you in my life. I don't want you to be involved in my life at all. If they have unusual powers, we, I renounce all powers that you've given me. I renounce any benefits you've given to me in your life. And I want you to know that I want to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, can, and I desire to follow him. And if a person can't make that commitment, they can't come to freedom. Can they? Can you ever try to straddle barbed wire? You can't do it. I mean, either you're going to have to turn your back on the enemy. If you want to be free, you, got, you just can't be You know, people say, well, I don't like what's happening in my life. Fix me. Okay, no, either you're going to have to come to freedom or you're, going to have, you're not going to be fixed. You just can't live in two worlds. There's a, oh, I was just hoping this young man would be here, another young man. Uh, but I think he saw that you had to be 15. This young man was in my office three weeks ago. He's 14. And we came right down to the end. He made this commitment. His life was in shambles. All kinds of struggles in his life. I wanted him to give you his testimony to you, but he's not here. And there was, he wasn't coming to freedom. There was something wrong. There was just a heaviness. He was overwhelmed with something that was not right. And we'd done everything. And there was just one thing he was still holding on to. They had not given to God. And I said, let's, let's pray. What is it? There's something wrong. I know there's something wrong. Look in your face. You're not free. He said, I know I'm not. There's something, there's something here. There's something heavy here. Just heavy on me. And you know what it was? The one thing he was holding from God? His music. Warren Worsby said, any area of your life that you do not want God to control, Satan will. And the enemy had a hold in this young man's life because he was not willing to yield his music to God. And there was some real demonic stuff that happened right then and it frightened him so much. And he saw the reality of the enemy involvement in his life he was going to go home and throw away everything. <laughs> I said, get under your parents' authority and you go home and you destroy the music that your parents do not want you to listen to. He said, there's lots of it and some that's hidden. And he said, I'm going to tell my friends because then I said, he said, I know that this demonic stuff in my life, this was just a couple of weeks ago, this demonic stuff in my life is directly related to the music that I've been listening to and I'm going to get rid of the music. And when he said that, guess what happened? He came totally to freedom. He didn't have to go home and do it. He just had a what? Purpose in his heart to get rid of that part of his life where the enemy was holding on to him. And he gave his music to God. And he went home. And he's going to tell all his friends, hey, I don't know if they'll buy it or not, but anyway, he's going to tell all his friends. We had a, a young man sitting in my office, and he said this. He said, I said, will you explain this? 
He was like 17, 18. He looked at me like he didn't do anything. And so I said, you know, what I want you to do is I just want you to tell Satan. So you're not praying to Satan. I said, if you, if you, if you have to, if, you, if that bothers you, then tell God you don't want Satan's work in your life. But I said, I've addressed Satan. I had a prayer partner a couple of months ago, and I mentioned that. Why don't you just, this fellow was struggling, he says, why don't you just tell God? He said, Jim, don't have him, don't have him do that. Now, some of you have heard this testimony I read of a man who went in the garage and took the syringe, loaded it with poison, was going to put it. Remember that testimony I read in Tennessee, if you were there, and was trying to get it in his veins, an ATIA dad who was trying to commit suicide in the garage by injecting poison in his veins. His testimony is 14 pages long. And he's in this dark garage, and he pulls back the plunger, and he didn't see the blood, so he sticks the needle in again and pulls it back, and it gets a big bump, and he, he's in trouble and he call, goes in the house, gives his wife the syringe, cries, calls me on the phone and said, can I see you? Right now I am booking in January and February for counselees. I have no openings between now and then. So we're so careful who they come around to be sure that they want to get right with God and we can, you know, really want to do it. And he said, I just tried to kill myself. Will you see me? And I said, I'll see you in, in I forget what it was, three months. It's the earliest I can see you. He said, I can't wait three months. So he went to a clinic, a Christian clinic, to be helped at that clinic. He spent $22,000 in a month there. When he left, they said, you're a hopeless sex addict. There's no hope for you. And you're going to have to go to sexual meetings twice, at least probably twice a week the rest of your life. You know, those 12-step sexual things where everybody sits around and talks about their sexual temptations and fantasies and stuff. He said, I can't handle it. When he left that clinic, he said the only thing that didn't keep him from committing suicide is he may not kill himself and end up back in there. A Christian clinic. Then he told them at the clinic he was going to come and see me. We had a cancellation. And they said, oh yes, he'll cast demons out. And they laughed at him. He came down, spent a week, was totally, completely set free, waited three months, went back to the clinic to see the psychiatrist and the psychologist there and said, look, I'm a different person. God has done a work in my life. And one of the psychiatrists said, you'll never be free of that. No one ever is. You'll be doing it in a year. The other fellow said, can I go down and see Jim Logan? I wonder what he's doing down there. And the other fellow came down and now he supports me as he was a prayer partner. So this fellow has been free for two years. He was a cross-dresser wearing women's clothes. And so this fellow came back as my prayer partner, and he's sitting in there, because now he knows he can help people. He's had two years of freedom of never dressing. Tremendous story of his story. and his, It'll be in my book. I'm writing a book, and it'll be out, and um, Moody Press wanted me to write a book, and it'll be out early part of next year. And his testimony is in the book of his cross-dressing and coming to freedom and so on. <clears throat> well, anyway, uh, he's sitting in my office, and when I said, you can, you can say this to the Lord, you know, he said, Jim, don't, don't have him do that. He said, you don't know that. I never told you. But when I sat here, and he said, when I said, Satan, I don't want you in my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Jim, something left me. I never told you. But he said, something left my life right then. He said, I think they need to stand against Satan and say so. So that comes from one of the fellows who, who the world says it's impossible, even the Christian community, it's impossible to be free of cross-dressing. And we've had numerous cross-dressers come through our, through our place and get free, and are staying free. They've been free for years. Well, so we have to make that testimony. After they make that testimony, the first thing we have them do now is to check occult or occult involvement in their life. I told you about the guy that was here last week. Or this week. It wasn't last week. It was this week. It seemed like a week ago. That I've never known a man that had so much power outside of people that have been involved in Satanism in his life. ATIA dad. His kids, teenage boys, sleep with the light on because things walk through the house. They see it all the time. 
Everybody's freaked out in that house. The dad is so powerful, or was so powerful, with occultic and demonic spirits and could do all kinds of things. And knew he had the power. Came to him as a teenager. In fact, did a lot of teenagers with creepy power. So the first thing we have them do is we have check sheets that list all kinds of occultic activities and all kinds of occultic abilities and powers. And the people check those things. This guy checked so much it was unbelievable. In fact, when I looked at it, I didn't know I was having a prayer partner, and I looked at this guy's sheet, his sexual addictions, I looked at all the occultic stuff, and I'm going, oh, no, and I'm here all alone with him. I need prayer. I mean, I need a prayer partner this week. If I ever needed a prayer partner, I need one. This one, this is going to be so bad. And in walked this guy from Nigeria, and he said, this, pa- uh, this missionary, and he said, I said, I forgot to put you in the book. I hugged him. I said, I've never been so glad to see anybody. <laughs> I mean, somebody sitting here praying with me as I deal with this guy. And uh, we had quite a week, a heavy week. But So we go through, and we look at these the various kinds of things. There are four reasons that people get involved in occultic activity. Two are especially appealing to teenagers. So many teenagers are involved in occultic stuff. In the telephone calls we get of weird things these kids are doing and weird things the parents are finding their kids are doing. The first reason, and I've asked this on college campuses, why did you get into the New Age? Why did you get into uh, out-of-body experiences? Why did you get into all this stuff? And the reason was, number one, power. I want power of myself. I want power of people. I want to control other people. I want to control them with my mind. I want them to be afraid of the power I have. I want to control people. I want to control myself. I want to control the spirit world. The second reason that people get into the occultic stuff is for guidance. They want answers and guidance for their life. So those are the two major areas. The third area is where I'm finding mature Christians getting involved into it. And this really concerns me. In fact, someone asked me a question tonight about this. And that is occultic healing practices. Can I tell you the the latest screwy one that I got on the phone? got a call from his family and he said we want to know this is in our church now and it's sweeping our church and we get a lot of these churches are getting swept into this strange stuff what you do is you take a picture of somebody and you send that picture to California I think it's California I, Dr. McGee was my pastor and he said all the nuts and fruits were in California was, the climate was really <laughs> somehow very wonderful for them but anyway they, you send this picture and they put this picture in a machine and it reads your aura the aura is the light around you so they read the aura of the photograph and then the machine prints out the vitamins that you need you know, you're lacking this vitamin, that vitamin, and so on. Then they take the vitamins and they set them there and they send them to the person by radio waves and they go into your body and you'll get better or sometimes you get worse. If you die, they can tell by the picture because the light goes out of your aura in that photograph. And this church and these families are saying, do you think it's okay? <laughs> It's creepy, (laughs) isn't it? It really is. And then the last one is protection. I want to say this, and I want you to take it in. If you know me, I'm not against any group at all. But we are seeing today amongst Christians, Christian magic. Christians are getting into magic and they're doing this almost the same thing that other people are doing for protection that, that is in the magical area. When I was in the Sioux Reservation, see, it was very hard. You have synchronization, take, synchronization taking place with people coming out of a spirit background. And they're not sure how much of the spirit world to bring into the Christianity. And it's happening all over the world. And the Indians have a terrible time with that because they know the spirits are real and they know there's things that you could do that if you do these things you could be protected from the spirits well this um, this one lady 
I was on a video that we did, and, and her daughter has all these strange powers. I mean, really has unusual powers. In a meeting like this, the girl was sitting, and I was just getting bad feelings, and I'm very insensitive to spirits. But I was getting a bad feeling from a girl over this area. And afterwards, I said, who was that girl? I said, there's something evil about that girl. It's just coming towards me. I said, oh, she's the medicine man's granddaughter. And this girl had the ancestral familiar spirits, unbelievable powers. The stuff this girl did as a three-year-old, and her mother is on this video giving her testimony. Her mother's a believer who is married to the medicine man's son, who is now a medicine man, but he divorced her. And this is her daughter, and she's talking about when she was little, how she levitated objects. And people on the reservation didn't want that girl in the house because she'd look at a lamp and then go up. This girl had horrible powers. But anyway, this mother asked me this question. She said, is it all right for Christians to put tobacco ties in the window? Yeah. Is that a tobacco tie? I mean, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, oh. Oh, she said, we take a flannel, a little square flannel, we put tobacco in it, and we make uh, ties with it, and we tie them. You ever seen potpourri ties with, well, that's what it looked like, and they put it in the window. You know why you put tobacco ties in the window? Well, demons won't come in. And they, pl they put them in the ground around the house, the Indians do this. But let me tell you, there's some people who put olive oil on the window. And let me tell you, olive oil never kept the demon out or to let it slip in quicker. <laughs> Be careful of Christian magic. You know what I'm saying? That all of a sudden, this becomes the thing. The oil. You didn't put oil in the bathroom window. That's why you got problems. You missed that one. We better oil the window. We, we get it. Olive oil never kept a demon out of anybody's house. The Holy Spirit will, but not olive oil. You know what I'm saying? And we get into, oh, you've got to do this and open the Bible up here and hang scripture on the wall. and You do all this stuff. And we're doing the same things these people are doing. We just have different symbols. Let me give you one more in this one. And this was with the Apaches. An Apache girl who had not heard me speak because she was going to university her husband had divorced her. She got bitter, got bitter towards God, and went off to the university and was having an affair with another Indian fellow. And the university was like 25 or 35 miles from the reservation. So she stayed at the university all week long and came back on the reservation. She had a nice brick house on the Hickory Apache Reservation. And this girl, uh, this fellow decided he dropped out of school. He was really depressed. He went down and lived in her house. So this girl uh, would go back and forth, and she came down one weekend to be with this fellow, and he had committed suicide in her house. And that caused her to come back to Christ. And uh, it's just like God got a hold of this girl and said, how much further are you going to go away from me? And so they buried this fellow, and she stayed in that house for a week, and her mother said, are you going to have the medicine man smoke the house? And the medicine man smoked the house. It was interesting. And I was in Guatemala. They call spirits on the steps of the Catholic Church with uh, buckets of smoke. But they're calling spirits there at the headquarters, that one part of Guatemala, which is the very headquarters for all demonic worship in Guatemala. A very creepy place. But they use the Catholic Church and smoke and buckets. It's interesting how all over the world they use buckets and smoke. And so the medicine man, uh, she said, No, Mom, I've recommitted my life to Christ, and I don't want any part of the medicine man. I don't want any part of that. I'm going to walk with the Lord. So she went, after being in the house for a week, she went back to the university. She came home on a Friday night, and she was sitting at the desk, and she was reading a Bible and she was writing some things down and she felt an evil presence walking through the house towards her and come up behind her and she knew somehow that the spirit was associated with a fellow who committed suicide. And she was frightened because the sun was going down and so she called her mom and said, Mom, Mom, I can't stay in this house. It's so frightening, she said. Uh, you know, I was here a whole week after he died, but boy, I've gone back to school for a week and now I'm here. And she said, there's a spirit that walked up behind me. And the mother said, well, it shouldn't be. I had the medicine man smoke the house while you're at the college. We had a young man who... Um, parents were in Christian ministry and this young man was in deep depressions a deep depression for three months the mother kept thinking something was wrong she kept asking he said no mom 
everything's fine, no problem. She said, son, there is something wrong. Now everything's fine. She said, I know there's something. My mom, just get off my back, just leave me alone, I'm fine. But one night she went in to pray with him, and when she went in, he was gone. He climbed out the window. That's what a lot of kids say. I mean, one girl that got pregnant, and the mom brought her pregnant daughter and didn't know how she got pregnant because she didn't date, except she climbed out the window at night after the folks went to sleep. And uh, this fellow climbed out the window, and, and they were frightened, and they were looking around. They lived out in the country. They were looking around. Behind the barn, he was sitting, and he was crying. And he said, Mom, it's terrible. It's terrible. All I think about is killing myself. So when I drive to school, I just think, go head on into other traffic, drive off this cliff, hit this bridge. He said, all I do is thinking about killing myself continually. And the mom says, you're going to see Jim Logan. He said, if I go to the mission, and so I was at that time vice president of, of a mission, if one of the vice presidents, he said, if I go to the mission, everybody will know i got a problem. I just can't see him. Let me go to somebody else. So they were going to take him to a secular psychiatrist in St. Louis. So they went to the secular psychiatrist and they went into the office and they were sitting there and she looked at the paintings and she couldn't tell if they were hung upside down or sideways. And she said, if these paintings are any indication of how this guy thinks, I don't want my son here. And the husband said, well, I took off first. She says, I don't care. This guy's got to be creepy. This office is creepy. So she grabbed the boy and out they went. Well, they said, you are going to see Jim Logan. And that's all there is to it. Well, he walked into my office. And when he came in, he began to shake violently. I mean, just like he had palsy. He sat down in the chair and perspiration was running off him, dripping on the chair. And I'm going, wow. I said, what's... What's wrong? I mean, you know, I know this kid. Well, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. I can't tell you. He said, I, I said, do you have some kind of palsy or something? And he said, no. And I said, what in the world is going on? He said, there's, there's something evil. I could feel it. I feel evil. It's shaking my body. And I said, and he said, and he started crying. He said, all I think about is killing myself. I said, when did it start? He said, three months ago. I said, well, what happened three months ago? He said, well, we made a homemade Ouija board, and we used a glass to be the mover, and three times it spoke to me, and it said, I would die this year. I said, will you renounce getting guidance from that board? and that the power of life and death is in God's hands because this is a Christian boy and he renounced it and we commanded anything not of the Lord in his life to leave and he was set free and that boy has been free for six years and he's never had anything else after that time but he went for guidance from the wrong place I'm going to tell you something and there's some young people here there isn't any free lunch you ask the enemy to guide you, to empower you, and you will pay a price you have no idea. I'll give you another one. I, uh, we had summer missionaries that we were training, 14-year-old kids, 14, 15, and 16-year-old. And I got up and spoke on being filled with the Spirit and how to just to walk in the Spirit. Nothing to do with the enemy. Never spoke about the enemy. I was just learning about the enemy at that time. I, I was just, you know, is this real? And, and what does the Bible say? And I've got to study Scripture. I've got to do Greek studies on these verses. I've got to know the truth about the Spirit. Well, I've got to know because of what we were seeing. And this boy was crying after I got through speaking. There was no reason to cry. I went over to this 14-year-old boy. He was sitting like over there. And I walked off the platform and I said, can I help you? He said, no. Nothing's wrong. Well, 14-year-old boys don't cry for a bunch of girls. I mean, they just don't. And I knew that there had to be something going on there. So I sat on the edge of the platform while they did their announcements and all that stuff. And I was dead tired. It was late at night. I wanted to go home. But here's a kid crying. I couldn't. How could I go home with a kid crying? So I went up to the kid and I said, Hey, there's something wrong and I'm not going to go home until you tell me. He said, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I just had a video that 60 Minutes did on Dungeons and Dragons of all these kids that committed suicide and killed each other and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's really horrible. And I said, I got a video in my office. Do you want to come and watch it with me? It's on Dungeons and Dragons. It's put out by the world. It's not, not Christian at all. It's secular. So we sat down and we watched this. And he's sitting in a chair 
that has arms on it with a bigger base than these. You know, the kind of square chairs. I mean, you've seen the office chairs that are square. He was sitting in one of those. And I was sitting, and we watched this, this thing, about 20 minutes long with no commercials in it. We just watched the thing through. He said, well, I um, really didn't tell you all the truth. And I said, well, what's the truth? He said, well, I used to be a dungeon master. Well, a dungeon master's worse. But he said, no problems because I've thrown away my dice, I've burned all my books, I've burned everything. I've got rid of everything. And then I, someone said they never knew someone who had been a dungeon master who was not having demonic problems. So I thought, well, I don't know. See, I knew. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just thought we'd better pray. And if you don't know what to do, we better pray, right? And I just said, hey, we better pray. I said, uh, can we just pray and say if there's anything here that God will remove it? And he said, yes, I don't want anything. So he sat in the chair, and when we prayed, he put his knee between his, I mean, his head between his knees. You know how thin teenage boys can do it? And his hands went right to the floor. I mean, it's like, whoop. So here, if you can see this kid doubled over with his head down between his knees, his hands on the floor. And I started praying, and all of a sudden, he was slugged. He went backwards in the chair. The chair went up. I thought it was going to go all the way over backwards. He came back down. His head went up. His eyes rolled in his head, and he started gurgling. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, leave. And uh, it stopped. And uh, he said, wow, did you see that? It was powerful. I said, well, I'm sitting right in front of you. <laughs> I saw the whole thing. <laughs> he said, i got to go back and tell my youth group. I said, what kind of a church do you go to? He said, Baptist. I said, don't go back and tell him. <laughs> I said, isn't there a kid from the youth group here? He said, yeah. I said, bring him in. And he said, you know what just happened to me? He said, man, he said, you know, I was... I got rid of all my stuff, and, and, and yet when Mr. Logan prayed, I was nearly thrown backwards. And he said, I don't know what happened. My eyes went up, and I was out of control. I don't know what happened. And he said, I'm fine now. Everything's good. I'm going to go back and tell a youth group kid, so I don't think I, I would. <laughs> well, that kid got out of my life. Never heard from him. See, what was the problem? He got rid of the stuff, but he never took back the ground. He'd given the enemy ground. He got rid of the stuff, but he never took the ground back, and the enemy was using it. That, I got a telephone call. This young man had the strangest sounding voice. If he ever watches this video, he'll probably look me up and punch me. But he's got a, this, I mean, a 14-year-old boy with like a, a bass baritone growl. And the boy always talked like he was coming out of the, you know, of, of a, the deep pit somewhere. I mean, he had the deepest voice. Had seen this kid now. I mean, this has been like seven or eight years ago. This 14-year-old boy. I get a telephone call at my office. Pick up the phone, and here's this deep, gravelly. I recognize that voice anywhere. He said, "You remember me?" I said, "Like, oh, how could I forget you?" And he said, "Oh, Mr. Logan, I'm in seminary. I'm going to be a pastor. I mean, he's gone through high school and college, and now he's in seminary, and he's going to be a Baptist pastor and Southern Baptist pastor." And he said. Uh, he said, there's a girl here in the school, and she has been dabbling in the occult, and I know what can happen. He said, I want to help her. Can you help me help her? So I gave him some ideas, and I said, just tell me, have you ever had any problems since those many, many years ago? He said, Mr. Logan, I've had normal problems, but not one enemy problem. Isn't it wonderful when we take that when God sets us free, beloved, we are free indeed. When the ground is gone and we're right with God. And I want to encourage you tonight that if there's been occult involvement in your life, why don't you bow before God and say, God, is there any, if I were given ground to the enemy through games or power or guidance, fortune tellers, palm readers, we had a, a lady call me on the phone, just tragic, she's crying. A fortune teller read her palm and told her she was going to have four boys. And she has four boys. Then she had three miscarriages. And guess what they were? Boys. Well, she can only have four. And now she's going to have another baby. She called me just two weeks before a baby, just crying. And I said, why don't we just pray against that? Pray against that. that, that. It said, you're just like cursed by this lady. Are you to get guidance for how many children you have from someone reading your hand? 
I see a lot of dirt in your past. <laughs> no. God doesn't want us to get guidance from lines in our hands. It's not what God wants. But she was under the power of that. And someone says something, I'll tell you, there can be tremendous power of suggestion there, and if there's enemy involvement, it's even worse. Um, there was something else I was going to tell you, and it slipped my mind. Oh, yes. Or if you have unusual powers, I'll give you one. Water witching. That gets a lot of people angry at me. And we had a fellow sitting in my office and he got very upset about water witching. He says, well, I water witch. Water witching is where they go with welding rods or sticks to find water under the ground. And the sticks go down. Well, this fellow water witches. And he was finding plastic pipe with water in it at six feet or up. And so when he would backhoe and everything, he wouldn't backhoe, he'd go with these, these things. Well, it just happened to be that my prayer partner that week was a university professor in engineering in grad level division. And so I turned, I said, you know, you, you met this fellow, but you never met what he did. I said, would you tell him what you do for a living? And he said, well, I teach engineering at this Ivy League college in the grad level division. I said, well, as an engineer, would you give us your scientific <laughs> opinion here? Is there magnetic properties in plastic pipe or water that would cause a rod to go down? He said, absolutely not. Some of you heard Mark Bubeck when he was here in town. Mark, I work for Mark. Mark is my boss. When Mark was on a farm, they were water witching for a well. And so this guy would go, and they found a place where every place he'd go would go real strong. So he gave Mark the stuff, and he said, Mark, you go. So Mark, as a teenager, walked, walked right over. Nothing happened. He said, well, go this way. Go this way. Go this way. Mark went, nothing happened. And the guy said, well, let me put my hand on your hands. And when Mark came over the spot, it almost tore his wrist as it went down. The power was not in the rod. The power was in the person. And so if there's anything like that, renounce it. Say, Lord, I don't want any power in my life that is not of you. I don't want any abilities that are not from the Holy Spirit. And I just want to give back, have Satan take back any ground he's taken in, that I've given him by using this. I was one day in there and, and a fellow said, um, uh, Mr. Logan, um, we had rabbits, a rabbit's foot on there. But what's a rabbit's foot for? Why do you have a rabbit's foot? It gives you good luck. Well, I had a rabbit's foot when I was a kid, and I thought, well, I'm just going to tell God. Because, you know, when you think about it, that foot didn't do the rabbit much luck. <laughs> well, if it didn't do the rabbit much good, what good is it going to do me? He had four of them. Then I just said, and I knew, and I'm not saying, oh, I had, you know, demonic spirits attacking me, but it's wrong. It's just wrong. I looked at my life, and I said, God, it's wrong. For me to have had that thing in my pocket trying to get luck from it, I wasn't a non-believer, and it was wrong to have that. So I'm not saying if you think of something that you need to come and be delivered because you had a rabbit's foot or something. I'm just saying, hey, just ask God. I'm going to be clean before the Lord. If there's anything like that in my life that would be associated with that, which isn't right, God, I just acknowledge it was wrong. I acknowledge any trust I put in it was wrong. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust your empowering in my life. I'm going to trust you for guidance in my life. I'm going to trust you for the healing in my life. I'm not going to go into these strange, occultic things that are out there now, and I can't tell you. we get telephone calls all the time on strange healing. i got right now some telephone calls about different kinds of healing techniques. Some people say, I don't know. What should we do? The church says it's okay. Our pastor's into it. But I have a, a check in my spirit. Let me tell you, if you have a check in your spirit, don't. You know, if somehow you don't have peace about it, then don't do it. Because God may be putting that check in your spirit rather than getting into something that you're going to have a hard time getting out of. Because if it's occultic, you may pick up some enemy activity over your life or in your life because of going into that. So be really careful. I don't know, Christians seem so gullible when it comes to this healing thing today. Well, let's bear in prayer and...
And that's enough for you tonight. Make a commitment. You don't want the enemy involvement in your life. That there was any activity in any occultic things or you were a part of any cults. There are strange cults out there, very powerful ones. I don't even want to name them. There are powerful cults out there, and yet God is powerful. One of the most evil, wicked, filthy cults is the children of God. That's just a horrible, horrible cult. And yet one of the most dynamic, godly young women that I know is a young woman who is the granddaughter of the founder. She radiates Christ all over the place. And I know it has to bother her grandfather, David Berg, the head of that evil, filthy cult. In fact, they want to pull him back down to, to Brazil because he passed out literature on uh, incest and stuff that was okay and that, that was part of religion and worship and all that. And that's this girl's grandfather. So God can reach into the most awful families, into the most you know, diabolical cults, and pull people out a trophy for his grace. If she was here, you'd never dream that this girl is, that radiates the Lord Jesus. If you get some of the Gothic videos of Russia, you will see this girl giving her testimony there and she is radiating Christ. It's a wonderful girl. So it's thrilling what God can do, isn't it? And there's no cult, there's no one so deep, so dark, or in any kind of anything that God can't reach down and reach them, take that person out and use them and they become trophies to the grace of God. Father, we thank you for the introduction time tonight. We pray that if there's anyone here that has given ground to the enemy in these areas that we talked about, in, in occultic games, in, uh, or any kind of guidance or any of these things, Father, that the Spirit of God would have freedom to bring these to mind. And that, Father, we be obedient and just release these to you and ask your forgiveness and be committed to you for healing, that you are a high tower, you are a buckler, you are a shield, you are a protector. You're Jehovah Rapha, you're Jehovah the healer, you're God that heals. Your Holy Spirit is, is the spirit that gives power and your word gives guidance. So, Father, we want to be committed to those things and to stand against darkness and to stand against those false things of the enemy and trying to pull people deep and deeper into darkness. And so we're thankful that Jesus is the light and we're to walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, truly we'll have fellowship with him and he will fellowship with us. And we stand on that beautiful truth we ask, Father, that you would give us a good rest, traveling mercies home. And then, Father, tomorrow, that the Spirit of God would guide us through the various things that we need to deal with to take ground or topos back from the enemy. We ask this, that you would be glorified. Amen.